0: Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right, how we doing church? Was that the other Ike? I see you. Yeah. Everybody, welcome to Church 214. What's up, Dalt? I know that was you somewhere. There he is. How good is it to be in the house of God tonight? Yeah. How good is it to worship our Father in the presence of other believers tonight? Yeah. I'll try and get through this message. I don't know how much voice I'll have left. Uh, after just just shouting during all of worship. Everybody give uh, the band a hand. Yeah. 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 Well, we are continuing in our Home Address series. For those of you that haven't been here for the first two weeks, uh, quite a while ago, like a year and a half ago, something like that, we did a Home Address uh, a 1.0 series, except we didn't call it 1.0 because you never call something 1.0 until there's a 2.0. So, and we preached on, on 214 verses because our name is Church 214. Well, now that it's home address 2.0, for those of you that also don't know, we're renovating the building at 307 Oak, so we are preaching on three seven verses. There you go. There's, there's the whole series right there. But uh, Heather did a great job uh, last week. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and she just really, really displayed what a passionate love for Jesus looks like what an intimate relationship with jesus looks like and i and i would promise you and i would challenge you if we would anchor ourselves on a passionate love for jesus every day every hour 2021 will be much better than 2020 no matter what happens so i would challenge you with that and then uh, in week one chris did an awesome job talking about the authority that we have over the powers of darkness and he preached through a zechariah 3 which uh, i've never heard a sermon on zechariah 3 and so chris was obviously the best that I've ever heard. And, and, and I, I highly doubt that it will ever be beaten because it was, it was amazing. But ultimately, as members of the family of God, we are destined to come alongside of his mission and crush the powers of darkness. That's ultimately what Chris talked about. And he also talked about uh, the concept of binding and loosing. And he had one of just the, the simplest, most clear uh, teachings I've ever heard on binding and loosing, which is ultimately our authority as sons and daughters of the Most High to bind the powers of darkness, and simultaneously when they're bound, the freedom of Christ is released. And that is how, one of the ways how we advance the kingdom of God. And ultimately, my conclusion tonight is going to piggyback off of that. Uh, Chris and I did not plan our messages around each other. It just kind of happened that way. That's kind of how God does it in the teaching team. Um, But we're going to go on quite a journey before we get there. So is everybody along for the ride? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really what I'm going to do is, is, since it's home address 2.0, my verse is Ephesians 3.7. But ultimately, I'm just going to preach through all of Ephesians 3. Uh, we're going to do some, some old school expository preaching tonight. Yeah. Yep, it's going to be awesome. We're going to dig real deep into the Bible, and it's going to be great. But I'm just going to pray, uh, and then we're going to get started. <clears throat> Father, we stand on the rock that is your love. That is the cross. Got the firm foundation that, that cannot be shaken. We, we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And because of that, we are people that cannot be shaken if we rest in the shadow of your wings. God, tonight, would you illuminate our eyes to the power of the gospel? to the glory of your infinite wisdom and to the grace that you displayed when you called us your sons and your daughters. So God, would you just be present in this time that we're together? Would you speak so clearly to each of us through the reading of your word? Words that you spoke, words that have been recorded and passed down from generation after generation. God, would you be present here? And would you do what you do? Would you change us? In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians uh, is an amazing book, and I would really encourage you to to read uh, all of Ephesians. It frankly will not take you that long. There's only six chapters in Ephesians, and they're not that long. Um, But for those uh, nerds out there, if you're like me... uh, there's, there's an immense amount of complex theology in Ephesians, and so if you want to get lost someplace for a while, just go ahead and read Ephesians, and you'll be there for a long time. But anyway, Ephesians 1 starts out by talking about God's plan of salvation and the richness of the blessing for those who believe in Christ. That's part of Ephesians 1. The second half of Ephesians 1 talks about the power that God displayed in his plan of salvation, uh, in his elevation of Christ above all of the powers of darkness. Chris talked about that week one, and we were just talking about it uh, a little bit ago as well. And he is seated on the throne in heaven above above all powers of darkness, both now and for all of eternity. Ephesians chapter 2 focuses specifically on the rescuing of the Gentiles and bringing them into the family of God, reconciling them with God's chosen people, the Israelites. And so that was really a three-sentence summary of two chapters of the Bible that have enough theological content in them for about 10 PhD dissertations. And I am, I am not joking. So again, go ahead and read that yourself. Uh, but ultimately, that brings us to chapter 3, which ultimately, I think, uh, amalgamates Chapters 1 and 2 into a unified mission and a call to action. And so that's really where, where we're going to spend our time. So everybody go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. You can turn in your phones or your Bibles. There are Bibles in front of you in the pews if you didn't bring one. We're going to be spending a lot of time here in Ephesians. This is kind of where we're going to anchor ourselves. Uh, we're going to jump around a little bit to other places, but I just want you to stay in Ephesians because that's really where we're going to be anchored. And while you're turning there, I, I really just want to make a, a couple comments. Uh, one, one. One of my goals tonight is to increase your uh, perception of the narrative of the gospel. To make it more glorious, more broad, more joyful, more amazing than you have ever thought about it before. That's one of my main goals tonight. Okay. The second is that um, if when you heard that I was preaching through all of Ephesians, and therefore I'm going to read all of Ephesians, Inside, you kind of went, I'm going to have to sit through him reading all of Ephesians. If you hate my voice that much, that's fine. You're going to have to deal with it. (laughs) But I think we need to understand the privilege that it is that we get to read the word of God within the assembly of the believers. There are so many people right now in America that cannot hear the word of God amongst other people because they're not in church. There are people around the world in the persecuted church that can't read the word of God out loud because they will be killed. So uh, if, if that was just a little inkling in your heart, I think you should check it because this is an amazing privilege that we get to be here tonight and that we get to read an entire chapter of the Bible. So here we go, Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can, you can <clears throat> excuse me, perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ." And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in, in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. I think one week we'll probably just like read through the Bible for like an entire message. I just think that would be awesome. But that's just me. I know not everybody holds my opinions. So again, as this is the home address series, uh, obviously I'm going to be focusing a little bit on verses or on verse 7. But really, I think that there are three linchpin verses uh, for this entire chapter, and that's verse 7, verse 10, and verse 20. And so um, if you read those verses just in and of themselves, on the surface, they seem like powerful verses, significant verses, Um, and they are on the surface, but I think that they're a lot more important, a lot more powerful, and a lot more impactful than a lot of us realize. But to get there, we have to do a lot of digging and a lot of contextual work. So ultimately, that's what we're going to be doing tonight, all right? We're going to be doing that contextual work to understand just how significant those three verses are. So I'm going to start back in verse 4, and we're going to read a little bit from that point and just start to break down this chapter of the Bible. So this is verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. That's an interesting statement, mystery of Christ. What does that mean? Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, there's mystery again, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in these several verses here, I believe that there are really two mysteries that Paul is talking about. Paul is talking here to the church in Ephesus. It's a church primarily of Gentiles. And I think that there are two mysteries that Paul is referencing. One was that Christ was the Messiah. That's one mystery. The second mystery is that the Gentiles are partakers in the promise and are therefore grafted into the family of God. And that might sound a little odd to you. It's like, well, like, why is it a mystery that, that Jesus was the Messiah? That doesn't really make sense. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. A similar situation to the Ephesians. It's primarily a church of Gentiles. And Paul says this, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. There's that kind of mystery secret language again. Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Interesting. Interesting. So here we have, again, more of this language, this secret hidden wisdom. And Paul, again, is addressing the church in Corinth, much like the situation with the Ephesians. And if you look at verse 8, he says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And the rulers of this age that Paul is talking about is not the Roman government. It's not Pilate. It's not Caesar. It's not some other government official that he's talking about. Paul is also not talking about um, what what some people may think when they read that, Paul is not talking about uh, the religious uh, authorities. He's not talking about the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees or uh, the Jewish leaders of the day. Really what Paul is talking about is the powers and principalities and spiritual authorities of darkness that were at work, that had influence in that area, in that time, in that day. And this is why it had to be kept a secret. And that still may seem odd to you. It's like, well, didn't... Didn't, like, the demons know that Jesus was God? Yeah, it's actually pretty clear in the Bible that the demons knew exactly who Jesus was. They knew he was the Son of God. They knew who he was, but they didn't know what he was. You see, in the Old Testament, all of the passages and prophecies that we would consider obviously messianic are only obviously messianic because we have the cipher to the code. Because, because, because we know Jesus. So it, even the simplest code is almost impossible to break unless you understand the cipher. And so these, these prophecies, these messianic passages in the Old Testament are really this mosaic that you can't fully understand unless you have the picture of Jesus to view them through. And that's exactly how these, these messianic passages are laid out in the Old Testament. There's no way the powers of darkness could have known that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew he was the son of God, but they didn't know he was the Messiah until it was too late. You see, when Jesus comes on the scene, the powers of darkness know that something is up, something is wrong, and it's not good for them, right? Because they know, again, Jesus is the son of God, and he's come down to earth, um, and he's kind of messing up our plans, and he's casting us out into herds of pigs and stuff, and he's just messing up our deal, all right? (laughs) All right. So obviously the demons are like, I I don't know exactly what this is, but it's not good for us, right? You say, well, I I still still just don't really understand that. Well, here's one example. There is not a single passage in the Old Testament where the Hebrew word for Messiah, which is Mashiach, is directly linked to suffering. Not a single one. Go ahead and find it and let me know. I will give you $500. (laughs) I'm serious, because you're not going to find it. There is not a single, single passage that directly links Mashiach and suffering. And so the powers of darkness, when Jesus comes on the scene, they're like, you know what? Jesus is messing up all of our stuff, messing with our plans. He's the son of God, so if, if, we, if we can kill him, that would be good for us, right? Because now he's not like messing up our stuff. And also, if we're able to kill him, that means that he's not the Messiah, You see, this is also why the Jews were so confused and really would not really accept Jesus because they were expecting the wrong thing. The Jews and the demons and the powers of darkness expected the wrong thing because they didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah until it was too late. So the powers of darkness think that if they can kill Jesus, he must not be the Messiah, and it would also be an extension of their power. The guy that was messing up all their stuff when they were basically having free reign before Jesus came along, they would get rid of him. So win-win for them, right? We all know how that story went. You see, they were duped into bringing about the one thing that meant their ultimate destruction. They were duped. And that is the secret wisdom, the hidden wisdom of the God that we serve. But it gets even better than that. Again, I said that there were two mysteries that Paul talked about in those first several verses. The mystery that Jesus was the Messiah, we covered that. And that the Gentiles were grafted into the family of God that they are partakers in the promise of Christ. And you say, well, why, is, like, why does that matter? Why, is it, why do the Gentiles partake in that have to be a secret? Well, for one, and this is very surface level, uh, if that was an obvious fact, then that would have been one thing that could have tipped off the powers of darkness, that Jesus was the Messiah. Because there are Messianic passages about how Christ will not just unite the Jewish nation, but also bring other nations into the fold. And so that would have been one thing that would have tipped them off. But honestly, it really goes much deeper than that. And to find that deeper, deeper significance, uh, we're going to dig down even deeper. We're going to go back to the Old Testament again. I love it. This is great. For those of you that aren't nerds in here, I'm sorry. Again, deal with it. Yeah. So uh, ulti- th- thank you for accepting me. I appreciate it. Um, So ultimately, in order to find that deeper significance, we're going to have to talk about something that's going to be very weird to a lot of you. It's probably going to be something that you've never heard before, probably because it's weird. What I'm going to talk about is really uh, quite accepted within uh, the modern biblical scholars of our day. But the reason why you've never heard a sermon on it, most likely, is that it's weird. And the church doesn't like to preach about weird stuff, right? Right. But here at Church 214, we're a little bit different than other churches, and we're okay talking about weird stuff as long as it's biblical stuff. If it's weird and not biblical, I don't want anything to do with it. If it's weird and in the Bible, I kind of have to figure out what to do with that. So, here we go. Ultimately, what I'm talking about is called the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. I I know some of you know about it because I've talked to some of you about it, but... And ultimately, the Deuteronomy 32 worldview deals with something called God's divine counsel, his heavenly court. Uh, there are several references in the Old Testament where it's called God's, uh, uh, God's assembly. Um, it's also ca- called um, the, the heavenly host, God's heavenly host. This is all the divine council. And Deuteronomy 32 also involves something called cosmic geography. So we're going to kind of dig into both of those. Uh, just a refresher, both for myself. And for your knowledge. <clears throat> we were not the first things God created, right? We were not the first intelligent beings that, beings that God made. I, I mentioned this as my last message. Before us, God had a family, a created family of very powerful, spiritual, eternal beings. And they were part of God's family. And ultimately their purpose was to obey him, uh, to serve him. Uh, but really their main purpose was just to be in community with God. From the very beginning, God's desire was to share His nature with His creation. And so God creates this family of powerful spiritual beings uh, to be part of His family, His divine council. Now, ultimately, some of them rebelled and they were removed or uh, kicked out or excommunicated from God's family. And they're known by many names in both the New and the Old Testament, but most often they're called principalities or powers of darkness, or spiritual authorities of this age, those, these are some of the references uh, to those fallen members of the divine council of God's, God's original eternal family. Also included in Deuteronomy 32 is this concept of cosmic geography. Um, this is also uh, another weird thing, mostly because uh, we think in our uh, enlightened Western minds that we know better uh, than people who wrote the Bible, uh, but I think we have things to learn from them. Okay, so uh, try, try and get rid of your enlightened Western mind for a second and think like somebody uh, from the ancient Near East, because ultimately that's the people that wrote the Bible, and that's the context that what the Bible was written in, so we should read it that way. Anyway, the, the concept of cosmic geography is actually something that my brother touched on uh, in a series quite a while ago. Uh, it was our presence series, and he did that by telling the story of Naaman. For those of you that that aren't familiar with that story, Naaman is a Syrian commander uh, for the uh, Syrian armies. Uh, The main god of Syria is Baal, and there were also other lesser gods underneath Baal. And Naaman had leprosy. And so Naaman had tried to heal his leprosy by going through all these rituals, these uh, healing practices and things like that, both with Baal and the lesser gods, and he was never healed. And finally, one of his servant girls says, you know what? There's this guy back in Israel. His name's Elisha. Um, He could probably heal you. So he's like, okay, I've kind of um, exhausted my options here. I'll go try that. So long story short, he goes to Israel. He's healed, and he does the ancient Near Eastern um, equivalent of converting. He denounces his loyalty to Baal, and he pronounces his loyalty to Yahweh. And then he does something very peculiar. Naaman takes two mule loads of dirt and loads it up and takes it back to Syria with him. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons why, but really the main reason is that Naaman's loyalty now was to Yahweh, and he never wanted to be where Yahweh wasn't. So he took some of Yahweh's territory with him back to Baal's territory. It's weird, but it's in the Bible, and that's how it is. Okay, another good example of this, uh, a more common one that some other people may be uh, aware of, is the story of of Daniel. Daniel has this vision, and he doesn't know what it means, and so he starts praying, and he's praying for, for weeks, and he never gets revelation about what this vision means. And then finally, an angel comes to him and says, whew, sorry, bro, I know that you've been praying for three weeks. Believe me, we heard you the first time, but I came as soon as I could, I got tied up, with a battle with the Prince of Persia. And, and he held me up for a long time, and I couldn't get away until Michael came uh, to kind of take over that battle for me so I could come and tell you the interpretation of this vision. Yeah. That's cosmic geography. Yeah. There is a principality, a spiritual entity that was over the uh, a region of Persia that had influence and power and authority both in the heavenly realms and also influence in the physical realm in the people and the culture that were there. Uh, and that angel that uh, brought that interpretation to Daniel was, was charged with fighting that, okay? So this is the concept of cosmogeography. Really quick, we're just going to break down Deuteronomy 32, uh, just a couple verses, not the whole chapter. I, I know you're disappointed, so that we can flesh these concepts out. So this is Deuteronomy 32, verses 7 through 9. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations, and ask your father, and he will show you your elders, and they will tell you. Here it is. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob has allotted heritage. So that's where this concept of cosmic geography and also God's divine counsel comes in. Now, there's a lot of super smart people that have dedicated their lives to understanding the Hebrew in those verses, the context of those verses, uh, within the context of the Bible and also within the context of ancient Near Eastern culture. And so you're going to have to kind of uh, trust their scholarship a little bit because they're smarter than all of us. I promise you, I've read their stuff. It's dense. So in verse 8, where it says that God allotted to the nations, he, he fixed their borders according to the number of the sons of God. That's really not a great translation. And if your translation has according to the number of the sons of Israel, that's an even worse translation. The reason why that's a bad translation is because it makes us think of people. But again, humans were not the only sons of God. We were not even the first sons of God. What this is actually referring to, again, is the spiritual powers and spiritual entities. Ultimately, it's referring to the gods of the Old Testament like uh, Baal, Ashtoreth, uh, Marduk, uh, Dagon, Moloch. It's referring to these uh, spiritual entities, that, the gods of the Old Testament uh, that God uh, allotted or assigned the nations to. And uh, one, another thing that biblical scholars have a pretty uh, decent consensus on is that this is really talking about the aftermath of the Tower of Babel. So the Tower of Babel is a massive sin on the part of humanity and a massive example of their pride. And so God says, I'm going to scatter your culture, I'm going to scatter your languages, and I'm going to scatter you throughout the earth. And this is what ultimately happens. This is the spiritual thing that happened in the aftermath of that. So ultimately, God, because of the rebellion of the humans, allotted the human nations to be ruled in the heavenly realms and to be influenced in the physical realms by these lesser created spiritual beings these um, uh, rejected members of the divine council uh, that were masquerading as gods and ultimately god gave people what they wanted god god gives us all what we want so if you want to rebel against god and live apart from his grace and apart from his plan he will give you what you want and so he gave them that what they wanted they said, all right, we're going to rebel against God. We think that we have our own, our own plans are better than God's plans. And so God said, fine, you'll be right at home with these rebellious spiritual beings. You can be ruled over, they can rule over you. Yeah. That's what's happening here. But the Lord's portion was Israel, his chosen people. And I promise you I'm going to link this back to Ephesians 3. You see, here is where we really have the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. This is where it comes from. It's not just this cultural separation. There is a massive spiritual distinction drawn between the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is one of the reasons why the Jews had such a hard time accepting the Gentiles into their family, because there is this massive spiritual distinction between them up until that time. So you have Yahweh's portion, you have the Israelites, and then you have all other nations. Under the rule, the authority, the influence of rebellious spiritual beings. And this is where we connect back to Ephesians 3. So I'm going to read Ephesians 3, uh, 6 through 10. And as I read these verses, I want you to, to have that as the background, as the context for what Paul is talking about here. Because that, that, that whole context that we just went over over the last 40 minutes, not true, is, is ultimately what Paul is referencing here in these verses. So let's read those. Again, this is verses 6 through 10. And this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. That word minister there can also be a translated servant. So that's kind of what I'm going to use from now on. Of this gospel, I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Here's verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Doesn't that just kind of broaden your perspective of what the narrative of the gospel is about? So again, in verse 9, it says, what is the plan of the mystery? Again, the mystery was that Christ was the Messiah and that Gentiles are accepted into the family of Christ. They are partakers in the promise of Christ. So the plan then was to show the powers of darkness and spiritual authorities, those created beings masquerading as gods, the unmatched wisdom and power of the Most High God. This is the wisdom of God right here. And frankly, it's almost comical how much God played the powers of darkness. Again, first God dupes the powers of darkness to kill Jesus and so bring about their own demise. That's pretty awesome in itself. But then God also adds insult to injury. You see, their mistake in killing Jesus not only brought about their own destruction, but through Christ's death, an avenue was opened so that the Gentiles, the very people that were under their rule and authority, the very people that they have been influencing for thousands of years, could be stolen out from under their noses. (laughs) That's a little bit more interesting than just saying, oh yeah, like Gentiles, you're part of the family too. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger. You see, it was the greatest checkmate ever devised. And the fun part is as the church, we are called to play a role in it. We are part of this grand cosmic narrative that has been playing out from the beginning of time. We are called to play a role in manifesting the hidden wisdom of God to the powers of darkness our purpose as the church like Chris said in week one is to exercise authority over them first in our own lives in our own temples in our own hearts and then in the world see both as a Gentile and a sinner you were once under the rule and the authority and the influence of the powers of darkness the Bible is quite clear about that fact you belonged to the darkness that was your position Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Colossians 1.13 says, He, Jesus, was, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Absolutely. This is kingdom language here in in that verse in, in Colossians. You see, we were once under the rule and authority of the darkness, but we have been removed from their influence and authority and transferred into the kingdom of the Most High. You see, we were once under the authority of the darkness, but now we are seated with Christ above their authority. You, as a child of God, were once a child of the darkness. You were once under their feet. You were once under their authority, but now they are under your feet as a son and a daughter of the Most High. That is the manifold wisdom and the victory of God that we get to participate in. This is the grand narrative that you are a part of. What are the greatest stories that we are drawn to? The greatest movies, the greatest literature. Is it not, is it not the, the type of stories that are, are where you just feel like you're part of something bigger, where the characters play such a bigger role in this grand scheme? You are part of the greatest narrative ever written. And God has called you to play a role in it. Let this widen your eyes at the glory of the gospel. Moving on in Ephesians. I'm almost done, I promise. Ephesians 16 through 21. That according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that, quite, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, not influenced by the darkness anymore, not under the rule of the darkness anymore, but you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and to be filled with all of the fullness of God. Wow. Now to him... Who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us? What is that power at work within us? This is the Home Address series, Ephesians 3 7. Of this gospel, you were made a servant. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given to you by the working of his power. You see, you have been made a servant of the gospel and given specific gifts by the power of God to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or think for the purpose of making known the wisdom and exercising the continued victory of Yahweh, the Most High God, the ultimate chess master. That phrase summarizes all of the first three chapters of Ephesians. And it summarizes your position as a partaker in the gospel and the promise of Christ. And it summarizes your role that you are supposed to play in this cosmic narrative. See, you have been made a servant of the gospel and given specific gifts by the power of God to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or think for the purpose of making known the wisdom and continued victory of Yahweh. The most high God. You see, just as Chris said in week one, through Christ, according to the power of God at work within you, we are called to exercise authority over the darkness. And Chris talked about binding and loosing. That's one way that we exercise authority over the darkness. But we also exercise authority over the darkness by every act of gospel centered service to Christ. Every act. You see, your worship proclaims God's victory and wisdom over the darkness because your loyalty is not to the darkness anymore. Your position is not under their authority anymore. You are worshiping Yahweh, your new God, your new Father. You're sharing the gospel perpetuates the shame and defeat and the ultimate inability of the darkness to overcome the light. When you share the gospel with somebody else, you are telling the narrative and the story of their shame. And you are robbing more souls out from under their noses by the grace of Christ. The God-given gift of joy that you carry because you are grafted into the family of God tramples on the shackles of darkness that once held you. See, the darkness wanted to keep you in despair and depression with no hope. But when you carry joy, that is a shout in the face of the darkness, that I am a child of the Most High God. Your depression, your despair does not hold me any longer. I have the joy of my Father. That is exercising authority over the darkness. When you use your God-empowered gift of hospitality. It shows the powers of darkness that the lack that they tried to impose on you has been turned into overflowing, open-handed generosity. That is exercising your authority over the darkness. They want to keep you in an attitude of poverty. That you have no hope. That you have nothing going for you. But God says, I will turn that on its head. You are living in my abundance. And when you exercise your gift of hospitality out of of God's abundance and not out of your lack, knowing that it's not about what I do, it's about what Christ has done through me and the storehouses that he has in heaven that is a shout in the face of the darkness, you do not have authority over me. I will exercise my authority over you by saying, none of this is mine and I know the person that made it all. When empowered by God, you display mercy and grace and forgiveness to someone who wronged you. You shout to the darkness that you are not bound by their chains of bitterness, but you live in the freedom of your Savior. Every gospel-centered act is an exercise of your authority over the darkness. And every use of a God-empowered gift is one more trumpet blast of victory, signaling to every demonic power that their days are numbered. And one day, they will be ultimately defeated at the hands of Christ as all of those that they once ruled cheer at their ultimate shame and destruction. This is the narrative that you are playing a part of right now as you sit in those pews, as you go to work during the day, as you parent your children, as you have that difficult conversation with that friend, as you try to find reconciliation with that family member. This is the narrative that you are a part of. It is so much bigger than you know or that you think. This is the narrative that we are living out right now. This is the victory that we are a part of but are we living in light of that victory? Or do we still submit ourselves to the influence of our former rulers? Are we taking ground in our own hearts for the kingdom by the authority of Christ? And are we taking that victory out into the world and taking more ground for the kingdom, robbing more souls from the kingdom of darkness? And by the grace and the power of God transferring them into the kingdom of the light. Am I using my God-empowered gifts for gospel-centered acts? And thereby exercising your authority over the darkness. Are you using your God-empowered gifts for gospel-centered acts? Making it clear to the darkness that they have no authority over me. The ground that I tread is Yahweh's territory. I belong to the most high God. I am not under your authority, but through Christ, you are under mine. Not because of my greatness, not because of anything that I have done, but by his grace and manifold wisdom, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority of the powers of darkness. And so we do not walk around with this pompous attitude that I mean something. No, I walk around in humility knowing that I have the privilege of being a member of God's divine counsel. I have the privilege of being a member of his family. He has chosen me by his grace to take his presence everywhere I go and to take territory away from the darkness with every step that I take. Are we living in that victory? Are we living in light of this grand narrative of the gospel? We don't want a puny gospel. We don't want a powerless gospel. We don't want a surface level gospel. We want a life-changing, city-changing, world-changing narrative of the cosmic gospel that you are partakers in. That is what we want, and that is what we should live by. Let's pray. Father, would you open our eyes to the grandness of the gospel, to your glorious wisdom, to your glorious grace that you lavished on us God who are we that you are mindful of us we spit in your face every day we trample on your grace every day and yet you still say come you are my son and my daughter sit with me sit next to me on the throne of heaven be a partaker in my heavenly nature be a partaker of my goodness taste and see that i am good god would you open our eyes to the authority that we have over the darkness that every every step we tread is the territory of Yahweh, not because of our greatness, but because the spirit of Yahweh lives inside of us. God, would you open our eyes to the grandness of the gospel? Would you open our eyes to the glorious narrative that you have called us to partake in And may it change the way that we view this world. May it change the way that we view our circumstances. May it change the way that we view and address our troubles and our issues and our problems and the things that creep up in this life that try to break our eyes off of you. That try to steal our confidence away from you. God, would you open our eyes to the victory that is in your son, that is in the cross. And daily. May we pursue a passionate love for you. And daily, would we acknowledge the authority that you have given us and humbly walk before you to build your kingdom, to expand the territory of Yahweh. God, would you do that in every heart in this room? And would you expand Yahweh's territory in this building? Would you expand Yahweh's territory in the city of Peoria? Do it through us, God. Do it through us. We are here. We are your humble servants. Do it through us. Do it through us.